Welcome to today's edition of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. Today's edition of Front Porch Talks is a live teaching session that took place here at Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene on Thursday morning, March 14th, for a group of pastors and leaders from the Virginia District Church of the Nazarene. And the focus of this teaching church was how to avoid burnout. Three different leaders have come today to just share briefly a little bit of their own experience and um, just what they've learned and maybe some vulnerability in it, um, but they're not here to um, wow you with some secret thing that you didn't know, but simply to share out of their own experience how God's helping them. And so uh, Chris is going to come, Chris Peden, and I'm going to have him introduce himself a little bit before he um, starts. He's got a, some slides and stuff he's going to share just out of his experience as it comes to burnout. I think uh, Chris said that somebody, I don't know who it was, uh, when they heard that I asked them to speak on this, they started laughing. You're going to speak on that? So. Yes, that was my wife. Yeah, okay. I didn't want to blame her. It wasn't her. That's all right. Um, so real quick before you start, Chris, Tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and um, where you serve, and how long you've been there. Okay, um, uh, just real brief, we moved uh, to Harrisonburg in 02, got connected here with Harrisonburg First Church, and uh, uh, under Pastor Carey's leadership, uh, continued to cultivate the call of God upon my life, and God opened the door for us to move down to Rockbridge County to plant uh, the Rockbridge Community Church of the Nazarene, so we Sold the house, moved my family down to Buena Vista, and have been there it's 13 years now. Wow. wow. Uh, and awesome. started with our family of four, and to see where it's come, and it's uh, by the grace and mercy of God. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear what you have to say, and I'm taking notes, but just share from your heart. All right, nice. really, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So we're going to take a few moments and share together again. Good morning. Uh, it is good to uh, be able to spend some time with you guys as I look across the room, and I uh, I see many folks that have poured into uh, my life, and um, I'm going to tell you, there's no shame in this topic today, because we are in some great company. I'm just going to tell you, uh, right off the bat, uh, uh, in uh, John Ortberg, writing in a, writing a forward in the book by Lance Witt, uh, uh, the book called Replenish, said, uh, Eli was a colossal failure and a conflict avoider as a father. Samson was a walking impulse control disorder. Moses was a fugitive. Uh, Elijah went through depression, suicidal ideation, uh, exhaustion, and burnout. John the Baptist's followers had disappointed uh, that his congregation was shrinking. Paul ended up in prison. And he goes on to say that the, the challenges that we face as ministers are um, attacking our soul, that they are soul challenges. And uh, one of the uh, blogs that I love and I feed off of is uh, by Tom Rainer. And he had this uh, on uh, last year. Uh, TomRender.com, seven reasons that uh, pastors burn out. And the first thing we begin to see is that 24-7 mentality. We are always on. And I'm finding that more than ever. Uh, uh, Pastor Adrian and I were texting last night. I texted him. like We talked mid-afternoon, and, and I'm like, let's do we got to get together. And, and it wasn't long after that. that uh, and so I shot him some dates, and I'm sitting there with my head on the pillow going to bed. It's 11 o'clock. We just had this conversation, and uh, he didn't know I don't keep my phone on silent anymore because I'm now taking care of my mom. I'm constantly on, so I keep my phone on. And uh, I let him off the hook and told him, I said, I had a family in crisis at 11 p.m. last night. We are always on. You know, some of the other things that he talked about is we are constantly in a place of conflict. Either you've just come out of conflict 
and you're catching your breath or you're in the middle of the fire or get ready, it's a coming. Mm -hmm. uh, well, wait a minute. Do I get an amen on that? <laughs> oh, have mercy. Anyway, uh, you know, also think about uh, the expectations that are placed on us as ministers of the gospel to be omnipresent, to know everything, to be all things to all people. And I don't know about you, I'm, I haven't done so well at that. I probably failed at that even this morning. Uh, I probably let somebody down, and that's okay. You know, but this is the, what's out there, the pressure, either imposed upon ourselves or what other people see uh, of us. Uh, also, an uh, unwillingness to let go. You know, these things can weigh upon us. You know, how many of us have ever been accused of being driven before? And so our level of excellence is, I expect this up here. And one of the things, the great things I learned from my wife, one of the blessings of why I'm able to stand here today and not melt, first of all, is the presence of God. And the second of all is the presence of a, my wonderful wife who has reminded me that I need to keep the main thing the main thing and learn there are hills worth dying on and those that aren't. Okay, and boy, I'm still trying to figure that out. Again, as you can see, the bag's underneath my eyes right now. We are in the middle of, of challenges, and I need to know what to let go of, what things can I accept a lower standard on, but encourage them to get up to the next place. So an unwillingness to let go. Another one, and you guys all know these. I got friends in low places. No, it ain't that. Having a friend to be able to go and to be able to share together. Man, that, that's challenging. Because we realize that ministry is we get dumped on, and the best thing we can do, and Pastor, uh, Pastor Terry did a beautiful job, the dump site from this stuff really goes to the cross. Because most of this stuff is confidential. It's so hard. We also realize that we're not suited for some task. You know, that this is the idea uh, of living your strengths, the strength finder's assessment. Love that. Okay? Because it tells me what my strengths are, and if I'm running... And I've been doing this recently a whole bunch, is living out of my weaknesses. The church is calling out my weaknesses. I'm serving here when I really should be serving here in the strengths that God has given us. Boy, is that attention. Any amens on that one? I don't know. But uh, anyway, uh, realizing I'm not suited, organization is not one of those uh, tasks that I'm real strong on. Uh, also, it's very easy for us to find uh, no life uh, outside the church. You know, because the church really can be all-consuming. You know, I think about the, and, uh, you know, as we begin to face the challenges, uh, in the book Replenished by Lance Witt, he reminded us uh, about Wesley's bands. He said, you know, because you remember, how is it with your soul? Because he basically said, it, he put the parameter of the backstage and the front stage. And the front stage is game on. This is what we got. This is what we present. This is the mass that we show to people. But the reality is this, it's the backstage that matters. Because the backstage will affect the front stage. And boy, are, are we ever finding this. So I love you know, your elevated voice, your excitement earlier, Pastor Terry, because that is exactly right. You know, we find ourselves screaming and, and at the end of our rope from the backstage, it will begin to affect the front stage. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, he reminded us in that, and in, in the book as well, that the, uh, out of the, when Jesus spoke of out of the uh, heart, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, uh, you know, as for me personally, um, that's actually a picture that I took 
uh, in, in one of my devotion times. I have uh, some canna lilies right beside the, the, the place where I normally have quiet time when it's warm weather out, and that uh, hummingbird was about that close to me. And I asked God, can I go get my camera? And so, uh, uh, anyway, uh, some of the lessons that I've learned uh, uh, from, from burnout um, is uh, uh, very early on, it was Pastor Roger that gave me, as a matter of fact, I think you gave me two of these four books. Uh, one of them was uh, The Emotionally Healthy Church. And the thing that I learned is, uh, from that book is the church will not grow beyond the mental health of its pastor. And boy, when I got that book, I think it was 09 or 08, I didn't want to hear that. There are things that I needed counseling for. There are things that I needed. And it's amazing as God continues to restore that I find myself pouring that out into the life of others. And, you know, it's amazing. You know, and another lesson that I realized, too, is i got to keep it in front of me. Burnout is a real thing, and it can come back at any time. If I let these spiritual disciplines down and I keep running, the tank begins to run empty, and, boy, does that, does, does red line come real close. And uh, another one uh, that uh, I have is that uh, one of the scariest moments for me was 2014 when I was bivocational. Uh, I was doing physical therapy. I was uh, pastoring the church, and I began to wait. How many got a cup of coffee in here? Anybody have a cup of coffee? Okay. I would wake up in 2014. I was waking up and have a mug or two of coffee before 8 o'clock, get to work, have another mug of coffee or two in the morning, and by lunchtime I was drinking a Diet Coke or two. Uh, when I say that, I would go uh, to a restaurant and get refills. I would get done with that. I would come back in the afternoon and put on another pot of coffee so that I can keep the game going. And I redlined, and I kept praying and pouring myself out before the living God. God, you've got to help me. And he set me free, spoke me very clear for me to step out full-time in ministry. And so that was a real wake-up call for me. And even going on sabbatical in 2015, I still wasn't the same. I've not been the same coming through burnout. But it has put an acuteness to my sensitivity to leaning there and the easiness to get there continues to be in the forefront of my mind. And so what do I do? What are some of the guardrails? Uh, regular quiet time with the Lord. And, uh, you know, I love going in my journal. Uh, God gave, I feel like God gave me this. How many of you know a, a big pen, uh, the multicolor pen? Okay, I go in my journal. I do... Uh, red and black to be able to alternate my days. And when I feel like God's speaking in a small voice to me, or, okay, and I'm not quite in a, it's a godly thought, I put it in green. But when God begins to just, not audibly, but louder than that, okay, uh, and he's screaming at me, here goes red. And a lot of times my green goes to red. I also find myself uh, in the, uh, the realization in managing my schedule better. This came from Buddy Marston. The urgent will always overtake the important. Mm -hmm. And I try to keep that because here, and they call me the fireman. That's my name. I ain't doing the rest of the lyrics on that. But just realize <laughs> that, you know, that here, you know, in our ministry, I know in mine, it's so easy to get caught up with the urgent needs that are always, what's important? What are we called to do? I think about uh, being able to look in uh, probably one of my favorite books, and it wasn't when it was given to me, but it was actually when I went on sabbatical. Pastor Roger gave me this one called The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan, and it's restoring your soul by restoring the Sabbath. 
And it began to speak to my soul. What is it? Take a day off. I'm going to just be real quick. You ready? I'm going to point my finger. Take a day off. Because how many of them do I have pointing back at me? Three. This is a cyclical. I can, it's easy for me not to take the day off. But I am being reminded again and again to take the day off. Or at least part of that day where I'm not taking care of my mom. I'm not doing other things. That I'm still, I'm quiet. And I just spend time in the things that uh, uh, restore my soul. Um, I also think about, you know, my wife being a great barometer. She's the one that kind of really helps, you know, hey, you're kind of getting there. Because I love being with people. I love people. And when I come home and complain and say this, that I don't want to be around anybody. Red flag, red flag, I'm close to that now. God's helping me. This has been beneficial for me because I've been going back to be able to share with you today. Scheduling days to be able to sit and to think. You know, that's part of ministry. I had to, you know, now, God, anybody ever been quail hunting? Anybody? Okay. Um, you know, they get flushed out. Okay, I got flushed out last week. No, Wednesday was a week ago. I was just overwhelmed between home, my taking care of my mom, and taking care of things at the church. And I got flushed out. And you know what I did? I cleared my schedule right then. I said, I know where to go. I went over to Douthat State Park. Cost you five bucks to go sit by the lake. Be still. Be quiet. God always meets you there. Okay? And the last thing I, I, I share on that is to know your strengths and weaknesses. So what is the weak plank in the ship? And part of that is doing uh, spiritual gift testing and finding out what are some of the things that you're strong at, what are the things that you're not. Really, if I could go back 10 years and tell myself something, it would be to set better boundaries with relationships with people in the church, being able to say no more often, and being willing not to please everyone. And so some of the resources uh, that have really been instrumental for me, uh, again, Tom Rainer, go to TomRainer.com. You get a blog post. They do videos. I just signed up for churchanswers.com. It costs you $15 a month, and it's just a leadership. They cover a gamut of stuff, and there is a uh, forum in there where you can ask questions. It becomes a community. It is absolutely fantastic. Again, The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. I love uh, the Emotionally Healthy Church, uh, Replenish, and one that I'm being called to go through is boundaries. I've been called by God. I've been told for years I need to do it, but I'm finally getting to it by the grace of God. So I pray that uh, you know, as I've shared um, out of uh, just a few things that I'm learning about uh, avoiding ministry burnout, my prayer is that the Lord would be lifted up as we have spent this time together. Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, we got one more that's going to share before we take a break, and then we have uh, one more that I'll share after the break, and then I've got some thoughts to share too. This is good stuff. This is stuff that I need that's helpful for me. Sweet. Sweet. I'm going to invite Julie to come up. Pastor Julie Harris is uh, on our district and pastor in Charlottesville, First Church of Nazarene. And just like I asked Chris to introduce himself a little bit, tell us a little bit about your family, ministry. Um, I know you've been in Charlottesville for a little while, but tell us a little bit about that and um, anything else about yourself that would be great okay. for everyone to know. I moved to Charlottesville about 14 years ago and just totally found the Lord. It was just a big leap of faith for my husband and I. And 
had never even been to a Nazarene church before. And that's just the whole God story in itself, how I ended up in the Nazarene church. Got called into ministry about four years after I started in there, a very clear calling, and uh, just never looked back. I have a husband, he's a CPA. That's why we moved to Charlottesville, because he got a job there. So he's extremely busy right now. And for about six months out of the year, we don't really see much of him, but we're grateful. He's got a wonderful job and love him very much. He supports me um, in everything that I do behind the scenes. And I have two beautiful girls. One just turned 16, the other one is 13 and a half. Two teenage girls and um, they're fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're really fun. Love it. Love it. So it's great. I'm at Charlottesville. Um, I started out just primarily doing worship. I was worship leader, then was my title was worship pastor, and um, now I've gotten to do all sorts of exciting things there. I do worship, I um, head up the communications, uh, women's ministries, I preach, I teach, I do all kinds of things. And I just recently started teaching voice and piano lessons again, which awesome. is something I used to do a long time ago, and God's really opened doors with me doing that too. So. And how long have you been on staff there? I have technically been on staff, um, I would say on staff being in the church, paid in the church for about nine years. Awesome. About nine years. So it's been a long time. Sweet. And sometimes it feels like yesterday, you know? Well, I was reaching out to some people to share today, and the Lord just put, I know Julie and I don't even know each other that well. We kind of emailed and we're like, I know, I was like, oh my gosh, what does he know about me? Right, no. (laughs) She's like, what has he heard? (laughs) When you ask someone to speak on burnout, they're like, I don't know whether this is a good thing. Is he trying to apply something? No, but I just thought she would bring valuable perspective. And so what I think you'll see by um, all three that share today is they're different people, different gifts, different callings, different places in life. Mm -hmm. But you'll see some common threads and maybe some unique things, too. So thanks for sharing from your heart. And let's do what we do when we welcome people, right? I got my brain with me, right? <laughs> Put everything on my phone. Uh, so he, just, he sent us some questions just to go by. And I just, I just went through and I answered the questions as honestly as I could. And I'm going to um, talk more personally things that I've experienced and um, I hope that some of you guys can identify with it as well. Uh, so the first one was, what is the biggest lesson you've learned in regards to burnout? You know, I really prayed about that one. And I have to say that burnout is nobody else's fault but mine. I am the only one that can take responsibility for my own walk. It's not anybody around me. It's not my family. It's not any other demands. It's myself. I think sometimes when we're feeling burned out or tired, it's easy for us to point to a circumstance or to a person or uh, to something specific that's the cause of that. But really, it's here, and the answer is always Jesus. There's a C.S. Lewis quote. I love C.S. Lewis. He's fantastic. But there's a C.S. Lewis quote that I love, and it says, I know now, Lord, why you utter no answer. You are yourself the answer. Before your face, questions die away. What other answer would suffice? And the answer to all of our burnout always comes back to Jesus. Jesus knows what we need. He knows what the answer is going to be. But he himself is the answer. Seeking him and just really you know, falling on our face before him and just hearing from him. I love Terry's devotional this morning. It was just perfect. It was just beautiful. Because if we don't get that quiet time with the Lord, we're just going to be wandering. 
we're going to be wandering. Um, the other scripture that came to mind when I was thinking about that was Galatians 6, 9. It says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. I think a lot of times it's easy to keep our eyes on what's going on around us, and maybe if it doesn't look like what we want it to look like, we think maybe God's not working or he's not doing what you believe he's going to do, and that's just so not true at all. So not true. We just have to keep the faith and just know even when we can't see it that he is working. The second question was, what was the scariest moment or wake-up call for you? And I think we have probably all experienced burnout in some way or another. It's going to look very different for different people, depending on what your demands are, what you do. Um, but we all have had some sort of a burnout. Um, I've been in ministry for 10 years, and I like to say I'm also a recovering people pleaser and a perfectionist, which is a recipe for disaster when you're in ministry. <laughs> um, but all of my life, when I was growing up, I found my identity in one thing, and that was music. I was a singer, I played the piano, and I think for a really long time I felt like that was all I was good at. That was it. That was the only thing that I could do well. And when I moved to Charlottesville 14 years ago, uh, I was teaching lessons, I was teaching voice and piano, and I noticed like around spring, I would just lose my voice for a couple weeks out of the year. It was just really annoying. Um, I would take allergy medication and it would get a little bit better after a few weeks. And then those few weeks would turn into a month. And then that would turn into two months the next year. And then the next year it was three months. And then it was also in the fall and in the spring. And before I knew it, it just seemed like I was constantly struggling, um, losing my voice. And it was really, really discouraging. I remember about four years ago, yeah, about four years ago, it was Easter season, which is like the best season ever. You got all this great worship music and, you know, you're just on fire. You want to just give your best. And of course, being the perfectionist and taking lessons all my childhood, everything has to be perfect. You know, it's got to line up right with that metronome. You have to be right in tune. Everything has to be perfect. And it was really, really hard for me to go into those seasons and feel like I couldn't give my best because I didn't have it. I didn't have it. And so I feel like we are hardest on ourselves. I'm way, way my worst critic than anybody else ever would be around me. And so for me, not being able to feel like I was doing my best and I couldn't do my best was, it made me question. It made me question everything. I felt like, well, what do I have to give if I can't if I can't stand up here and even hold a conversation or say anything? I coughed. I had that dry cough six months out of the year. <laughs> it was like this. I would have lunch with my husband during the day. It would be like this for six months out of the year. And so I finally just, you know, was really deep into my own pity party. And I said, all right, Lord, maybe this is not what you want me to do maybe you know I was losing my identity and I realized after a while you know I, I needed to get some help and one of just a great Christian lady in our church she says let's go out for lunch and I think she, God really used her that day because she could see what I was struggling with and she said just let you know just talk and so I talked with her about you know what I was experiencing and she says you know I think you just need to resolve the fact that you are going to worship him no matter what, even if 
even if he takes your voice, even if you can't speak a word for whatever, even if. And so that was the day that I said, even if it doesn't matter, I went home and like I do, I wrote a song about it. It's called Even If, before Mercy Me even wrote their Even If song. And it just gave me just a new passion. I said, even if, Lord. And during that time, God started to just put new things on my heart to do, um, writing, um, teaching, doing, you know, all these other things. And I realized, you know, we can't find our identity, which is what you said, in what we do or in the things that we might be good at for different seasons. Our identity is found in him. And within just a few months, I said, I'm going to go to see an allergy doctor. Woohoo! Praise the Lord that I did. He tested me and he said, wow, you are really, really allergic to all but two of the things I was tested for, which was like 60-some things, all environmental stuff. So I started the long process of doing allergy shots. And raise your hand if you don't like waiting in a doctor's office. Is anybody here? Is there anybody? <laughs> waiting in a doctor's office is like way high up there on one of the things that I do not like doing. But I'll tell you, that was just such an awesome season of God really, really doing a work in my heart during those times. I would go twice a week for allergy shots. I'd have to sit and wait each time I went. And um, I've been doing the shots for over three years now. It has drastically improved my quality of life, drastically. Um, it's been just an awesome thing. I actually would bring my Bible with me. I bring devotional books, and I would really spend that time waiting with the Lord. That's what I started to do. And um, just develop some really cool relationships there with the other patients in the doctor's office in the waiting room. And um, you know, to this day, I still see them. We strike up conversations. They know I'm a pastor. We talk about Jesus and, and all of that. During that time, there's a scripture also that the Lord really impressed on my heart and it's Psalm 27 13 it says yet I am confident that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living that was a verse of and I wrote a song about that one too <laughs> because it's so true when we are just seeking God when we are just looking for his goodness it's everywhere it is everywhere so God is, he's faithful, and I'm just so thrilled that, you know, he just gave me a new passion, a new um, vision for my ministry, what I'm doing at church, and the other question was, what are the guardrails or the disciplines that you've set in place? Well, I think accountability is huge, being able to talk with other trusted sisters in Christ or brothers in Christ about the struggles that you have in ministry or whatever you're dealing with. So I do have um, several people that on occasion I get together with and uh, they're able to help me stay accountable, you know, check in on me and I check in on them and it's a great thing. I set aside um, certain times during the week where I don't do anything. I don't do anything. I don't answer my phone. I don't answer texts. I don't answer emails. I truly just take the day and enjoy life. I try and see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I go for walks. I read scripture. I sometimes will go on YouTube and look up other sermons from other churches all over the world. And I love, love hearing other people's messages from other churches. So if you all have any that you enjoy listening to online or on YouTube, come and tell me when we have a break because I would love to hear it.
and take a listen to them. Let's see. Oh, the other thing, good to unplug. It's not my ministry. That's the other thing, too. It's not mine. It's not mine. God's the one that does it. It's his ministry. It's his ministry. It's okay if I'm not there sometimes. It's okay if I take a day off. It's his ministry. It's not mine. Uh, it goes on without us there. And when we're not there, it's a reflection of good leadership when ministry can still continue without us being physically there. Uh, the last thing that the question that he asked us was, if you could go back 10 years and teach yourself something in this area, what would it be? Well, I had a couple of takeaways on that. First, don't take yourself so seriously. It's okay to have fun. It is actually really fun to serve the Lord and minister for him. It's a privilege. It's a joy. And it's a joy to do it. The other thing would be to give myself more grace. Stop being so hard on myself. I'm so hard on myself. If something's not perfect, or if something doesn't go the exact way I want to go. But you know, when we surrender that desire for perfection, he's able to take whatever we offer, and he just makes up the difference. He makes up the difference, and he does it. When we give the best of ourselves that we have. And then the last thing would be, this is for me, stop aiming for perfection, and just aim for Jesus. Amen. Aim for Jesus. That's all I got to say about it. Good stuff. Well, I was writing some stuff down. Um, this is helping me. No one else showed up. I was going to be here taking notes, so thank you. Uh, I'm going to invite Drew Ritter to come up. So um, he had to slide in a little bit late today, and he's like, are you sure you still want me to speak? Because I have no idea what the other two said. And I said, yeah, we do. And so don't you appreciate so far just the wisdom and the vulnerability of those that have shared with us this morning? And, um, I know there's a lot of wisdom around your table, too, and so we will take a few minutes to um, unpack some of this together. Um, first of all, now this, before you even speak, I'm giving you a gift. Now that the other two had to wait till after. Um, but thanks for being here, Drew. I asked the others to introduce themselves because not everybody in the room knows you. So tell us a little bit about you, your family, your background, and where you're serving in ministry now and how you got there. Okay. Does that make sense? I can do that. And then you, you dive into whatever else after that. Okay. Thanks. All right. Well, thanks, Adrian. My name is Drew Ritter. I am uh, the pastor at Livingstone, which is the church in Verona that is four years old in a couple days. So that's kind of cool. I uh, was a plant out of this church here in Harrisonburg, where my family and I attended for many years before that. My wife, Kathy, works here on staff. She is uh, in the finance department here and reminds me often that we don't go to church here anymore. When I ask her how things are going, she kind of... And we have, we have uh, two kids. I have one that is a freshman at Bridgewater College, and I have one that's a freshman in high school. So two girls, so life is wonderfully crazy in our world. Uh, I came to ministry late. I was an architect for 15 years before God radically changed direction. And that really only makes sense to me. Like, nobody else can figure that out, and I'm okay with that. It's all right. But I'm a little behind the learning curve for most everybody. So pretty much, I think, the reason Adrian asked me to speak is because I am to give you the antithesis of what it is you're supposed to do 
to avoid burnout. Just don't do what I say, or don't do what I do, and you'll be fine. But it works for me. So, I don't know. I didn't even have time to write anything down. So, my apologies. I'm sorry. Um, love me through it. It's been, this week in particular, has been very challenging uh, in life. Not in ministry, but in life. It's, and that happens. And so, I suppose the theme was avoiding burnout, right? Right? That's what he asked you? Okay. <laughs> so, I'll give you my best shot on that. Um, if I was going to give a broad brush, I, I told you I had another career for my young adulthood life, and it was very driven in an industry that's very driven, and you bill every minute, so you have to catalog every minute, and you just keep track of what you're doing all the time, but it's also very creative, which means when I wasn't at work, I was still working things out. And I come from a family, a wonderful family, great parents and great heritage, uh, grandparents and so forth. Uh, but my grandparents and beyond were all farmers, and so their, and barn builders, their philosophy was, if you're awake, you should be working. <laughs> Period. <laughs> uh, that's just how it is. If you're breathing, actually, you should be working. So that was the mindset that I came up with, and it's not all bad. Um, but the first thing that I had to do to survive being a pastor is give myself permission to be a human being. And just, you know what? It's okay. And it really has taken me a long time. My kids really, I gave them a raw deal when they were little because of that work, 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 work all the time. And if you're not driven that way, maybe it's not a big deal for you. But if you are produce-driven, that becomes a habit and a lifestyle. You might produce a lot, but you don't live much. And I don't think that's what God has in store for us, particularly in the pastorate, because if we don't live, we have no life to share. We have no life to give. And so I have had to train myself that when my children say, hey, Dad, can we go to a basketball game? To say, yes. <laughs> yes, we can. And it'll be okay. You know, and, and it's, I'm not saying blow off the responsibilities you have. We have things that we must do, and there are things that we must do at certain times. But if I don't have a direct conflict, then there's no reason I can't do that. That has become my attitude, and it really took me a long time to do that. And I found a couple weeks ago there was a snow day, at school, my daughter didn't have school, and I had a really tight scheduled day planned. She's 15. You want to come? So we spent the day together, running around. We spent most of the day in the car. I said, you know, bring your homework, bring your stuff, and when, you know, we'll have time, you can work on your homework, and, and it'll be fun. And we ended up driving all over the place. We got very little work done that day, and that ranks, in my mind, it's like, Right up there with best day ever to spend with that kid. She's one of these kids that if you want to get into her soul, you've got to spend some time. She's not one of these that sits down in five minutes and catch you up to speed on what's going on. You've got to work it out little by little. And I've discovered that I am too. I'm one of these that it takes, you've got to get me to where I'm ready to let it go. Now, I'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I don't necessarily get into it personally. So all that feeds off of I had to give myself permission to be a human being. There's other facets of that that I'm still exploring. We are people first, and that means there are times when life really stinks for us as people. I'm experiencing that this week. Life really stinks. <laughs> Not the church. Church is awesome. My kids are good. But life as a whole just kind of its one of those. And uh, many of you were on the ministry team retreat. If you weren't, shame on you. Should have been. It was really good. Um, <laughs> I discovered something on that retreat about myself that I didn't realize. And that is we... And I'm, I know you all can relate to this. We put ourselves out there for people who are in struggle to help them. And so we will sit down with somebody and say, tell me, tell me, tell me how do you feel? How is this? What's going on? Right? We do that. We agree on this, everybody? Like, we open ourselves up. And we do that because God's called us to do that. And we do it because we want to. It's a combination of the two things. It's people ask how you are because they care. And I discovered how difficult it is for me to be on the other side of the table mm. and actually share, you know what, my life really is sucking cheese right now <laughs> because I feel like I'm laying on this burden that somebody else has to carry. But if somebody gives me their burden, I don't feel like they're laying something on me that I don't want to carry. So I've had to have this mental shift. It's okay. God allows us to be whiny. You know, <laughs> it's all right. We are allowed to be people. And I think the more we become in touch with who we are as a human being, the better we can minister to other human beings. We kind of have to experience it. I think that's why God didn't let me be a pastor until I was older, because I hadn't had enough life yet. I didn't have anything, for me, I didn't have anything to bring to it. And it's, we're getting there. So... Like I said, I probably have nothing to bring you that's remotely useful. I am a bivocational pastor, by the way. Um, and I would suggest if you are called in that in life, uh, let the Lord give you what your other vocation is, because I don't really feel like I'm bivocational. I teach Bible at a Christian high school, which is awesome. Like, I've never felt so alive. And I have an understanding of the Bible that I never had before. If you really want to understand something, teach it to ninth graders <laughs> in great detail for a whole year, right? And so, <laughs> um, and I'm incredibly blessed that the church sees that as an arm of the ministry that the church is doing. So it feels weird for me to say I'm bivocational because really I'm not. It's one vocation that comes from two places. And it's great, because each vocation feeds the other. And just for fun, I get to teach Lego robotics. So, <laughs> really, just for fun. And it's, it's really cool. So, that helps me in a lot of ways. It doesn't sound like a way to avoid burnout, because it's just more and more and more and more and more. But it's not just more and more and more. What I don't usually get at the high school is the heaviness of ministry. It's the fun part. And what I teach, it's not like I'm teaching calculus or AP history or AP English where you have to teach this subject and they have to get it. The beauty of what I get to teach 
And I put it right on the syllabus at the beginning of the year. The point of this class, it's great if you can learn to memorize the Bible and understand all the form and all the different the arrangements and all that. That's great. But really, the purpose of the class is to learn to love the scriptures. And I don't care if they memorize it or not, if they're having fun in the Bible, because in life, they're going to need to know the Bible's not scary. And the Bible does have wealth in it if you're not afraid to get in it, if you're not afraid to wrestle with it, if you're not afraid to ask the hard questions. And when you get into a catastrophe, because we get those, we're human beings, we will each of us experience catastrophe. When you see those, you know where to go. If you like the Bible, my goal of teaching at the school is that all the students will enjoy the Bible. And if they get the order of things and know how to find things, well, that's just a bonus. So I don't know if that's any good to anybody, but that's really helped me a lot to stay grounded and to stay, you know, God wants each of us to minister not only where we are, but who we are. We are who we are on purpose. Yes. And when all of the experiences that we have in our upbringing and all that makes us who God wants us to be in this moment in time. And really, I've had to embrace that and stop fighting who I am and just embrace and stop fighting where I am and what I'm doing and just let the Lord, like they say, let God be God all by himself. It's very liberating to just let God be God all by himself. So, that's it. That's all I got. A couple of things I wrote down. Maybe you wrote down other things. When um, Chris was talking earlier, these are things I know, but things that came, you know, he said there are hills worth dying on and hills that are not. We've all been there. Um, when Julie said burnout is nobody's fault but my own and it's not my ministry and then when Drew said I give myself permission to be a human being <laughs> yep I'm there there's a handout I put on your table I shorted my table one and I'll give this one back in a minute after I use it but um, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this but I did want um, I appreciated Chris too sharing a little bit from some of the resources and things that have been helping him I think one natural thing that comes out of our conversation today, or here's some things, uh, Brad, at our table. Here's a couple books I've been reading that have been helping me. Here's a song I heard that, you know, these are just uh, practical things that we need. But these are three um, articles that I've just found recently, not even necessarily because I was looking, but just because um, I've just been reading things, and this kind of keeps coming up. Maybe that was part of what paved the way for today. Three different ones. The first, uh, we'll look at this one a little bit together, Nine Signs That You're Burning Out in Leadership. The second is stapled to it is called Beating Burnout, Seven Ways to Keep Your Staff at the Top of Their Game. So that's something that you can relate to as a leader. But to some extent, as leaders, we have a responsibility for the health of those around us. I absolutely agree with what Julie said earlier. Burnout was my fault. It's something that I had to own. Um, let me quote you right. What did you say? It's nobody's fault but my own, right? That's true, but we as leaders have a greater responsibility. And so um, today, it may not be a staff, it may be leadership that you have, but you have in some ways a responsibility to care for the hearts. And we see the guardrails, and so I think the second one really helps me in thinking about those around you. How do you help them 
avoid burnout. The third one is a painful one, but I think it really is important for us today. This was forwarded to me, one of our staff members, a couple months ago, and I've just held on to it. Um, six warning signs that you're risking a moral failure and how to avoid a fall. Talk about a topic we don't want to talk about, but that's one of the things that resonated with me today. A question, uh, or not even a question, but a statement the Lord brings to my mind often is that we don't know what stands on the other side of our obedience. We don't know what hangs in the balance. And so I would say that when we talk about burnout today, uh, not to scare you, I don't think any of us need to be scared, but the reality is you don't know what hangs in the balance on the other side of your burnout. For some of us, we just think of burnout as, oh, I just need to sleep more and I'll just get stressed. But no one, you know, some of the really hard things that we have to see other pastors and other leaders go through, no one wakes up one day and says, I'm going to have a moral failure today. It's largely through a lifestyle of burnout and not having some of the things in place that we've talked about today. So I would encourage you to take a few minutes and read through that. Uh, It challenges me, but it also encourages me um, to look at the guardrails that I have in my own life. But if you would, um, these are yours to keep, but just the first one, just if you turn to the second page, I want to look at the nine signs. We've heard a lot of these already today, and a lot of these were around your table, but I think they're helpful if you skip kind of down there to the, how do you know you're burning out, you're heading for burnout? Here are the nine things I personally experienced. This is Kerry Newhoff. He's a Christian leader, pastor. But number one, your motivation is faded. The passion that fueled you is gone, and your motivation has either vaporized or become self-centered. Again, I keep going back to the my ministry thing, right? Your motivation has become self-centered. That was good. Uh, Two, your main emotion is numbness. You no longer feel the highs or the lows. And then this was actually one of the earliest signs for me that the edge was near. I wrote more about emotional numbness, and he shares a link to that. Uh, Number three, people drain you. Chris shared that, right, earlier. Of course there are draining people on the best of days, but not everybody every time. Burnout often means few to no people energize you anymore. That's a good one. Four, little things make you disproportionately angry. When you start losing your cool over small things, it's a sign something deeper is very wrong. We've all been there. You become cynical. Man, was I convicted of this one, right? You become cynical. Many leaders fight this one, but cynicism rarely finds a home in a healthy heart. Cynicism rarely finds a home in a healthy heart. So there's been seasons of cynicism in my heart where I have to go back and say, wow, Lord, what are you trying to show me here? What do I need to learn? Number six, your productivity is dropping. You might be working long hours, but you're producing little of value. Or what used to take five minutes takes you 45 minutes. That's a warning bell. Number seven, you're self-medicating. Your coping mechanism has gone underground or dark. Whether that's overeating, overworking, drinking, impulsive spending, drugs, you've chosen the path of self-medication over self-care. Ironically, my self-medication was actually more work, which just spirals things downward. One um, thing... Pastor Sam actually is in the room, and I talked about this some, uh, the importance of leading yourself. As leaders, we talk about leading others, right? But we have to lead ourselves, too. And so uh, that was when it said uh, self-medication over self-care. That's what came to mind. Uh, number eight, you don't laugh anymore. Nothing seems fun or funny, and it's worse. You begin to resent people who enjoy life. You begin to resent people who enjoy life. 
Number nine, sleep and time off no longer refuel you. Sometimes you're not burnt out, you're just tired. A good night's sleep or a week or two will help most healthy people bounce back with a fresh energy, but you could have a month off and when you're burnt out and not feel any difference. I took three weeks off during my summer burnout and I felt worse at the end than when I started. Not being refueled when you take time off is a major warning sign that you're burning out. This is heavy stuff. This isn't fun, maybe encouraging stuff, but man, I think it's really helpful as we begin to look in the mirror at who we are as leaders and certainly then a greater responsibility to lead those around you. So these are yours to take. These are resource and wisdom of people that have walked this journey and have a lot of really good things to say. So I would just encourage you um, to take these with you uh, and to enjoy them. I'm going to close in a minute by just kind of sharing the road that I'm walking in this journey of burnout a little bit. Um, Before I do that, Dr. Phil wasn't able, he had planned to be here today. He actually did um, some work on his PhD in uh, the topic of burnout. So he was actually excited to share a little bit. But um, two days ago, came down with some kind of fever and So um, he decided, I think he's feeling better, but decided not to come. And I said, yeah, it's probably appropriate when we talk about burnout that you should give yourself permission to stay home and rest. (laughs) So if he dragged himself in here, you know, half sick, I think that would have been ironic on a day we talk about burnout. So he brings his greetings. I just want to share a a couple things the Lord's been teaching me. And um, some of you in the room on staff with me have heard some of this, maybe not all of it. So as we were planning teaching church today and I was thinking about the topic and a little bit of just my journey over this last seven, eight months. It's just been really unique, and the Lord has totally been in it. But uh, I think I shared this a little bit last time that on July 1st was my first kind of official Sunday. The previous Sunday was Pastor Kerry's last Sunday, and the next Sunday was my first Sunday. And that rarely happens in the church, right? It rarely happens that, like, pastor's leaving next Sunday. Hey, new pastor. And the Lord really orchestrated that in a way that was really cool and meaningful and Three weeks after that, we brought a little girl home from uh, Central Africa. We had been in the process of trying to adopt for six years and experienced two pretty heartbreaking dead ends in that journey. And so we, a year and a half before that, so um, if this is July, probably January of the previous year, had just kind of told the Lord, okay, we'll obey you. We'll do, you know, talk about you don't know what hangs in the balance of your obedience. Um, We really didn't have any expectation that anything would happen, but we just, we knew that to not say yes would be disobedient. And so we said, we got to obey you in this. And so here we are a year and a half later, after a six year journey of feeling called to adopt, the Lord thought it would be really funny if um, three weeks after I became the pastor, he would drop this uh, year and a half year old, sweet little girl into our laps and say, good luck. And so that's honestly how it felt. Um, There was like... The initial, maybe not panic, but overwhelm of like, wow, being the lead pastor, that's, you know, Lauren and I would just talk on the couch and process. And then the realization that she's coming home, which is awesome, but like she's coming home now and everything. I mean, my dad's in the room today and he would tell you that I'm, I'm like a structured, I'm not uber, like I don't have every moment of, but I like continuity. I like a schedule. I like a routine. And when my life gets out of routine, I just get funky. Like, I love when I have a week or two, you know, to be like if I on a a sabbatical season or even like Christmas time, I tend to save like a week of vacation, week and a half vacation, just be home with my kids. But then at the end of that kind of week and a half of trying, I get into like this big funk 
because I've had no rhythm and no routine and no, I'm like a grouchy, cranky, whatever. And Lauren calls it out in me, my wife. But so ironic that you take somebody who loves rhythm and routine and continuity and bring two pretty significant changes in their life all at once. And so I'm just here to tell you that my life felt like the biggest blur. I mean, I didn't know what day it was, what time it was, what was happening. We have an incredible team of leaders here at the church that gave me some time away and was doing stuff, but I just felt completely and totally overwhelmed. I mean, I like to try to think of beyond like a day from now or two days from now, it was just, it was actually debilitating. Like I could not, could not do it because I, uh, we brought home again, this little girl that spoke no English and never had running water. And so everything is new to her and attachment, and we would just spend eight hours a day playing peekaboo, and sometimes she liked me, and sometimes she would scream when I got near her. I mean, this is just our life, and then I'm just thinking like, okay, and now how do I lead the church, and now what does that mean? And so this topic for me over the last year has become really important because I've just been living it. I've just been living, and in some ways, like, Lord, what do you want from me here? What does this look like? And so God's been faithful in it, and God's been so faithful, and it's beautiful, um, but this is a daily journey that I feel like I'm on in finding balance and rhythm. And so uh, for this year, I shared with our church, I, I prayed for every year. I, I just pray about a word for my life personally as like a New Year's resolution thing. I don't set a ton of do this more, do this more, but just I try to pray and I feel like the Lord gives me a word that kind of guides my. And so the word, and maybe I was telling the Lord what my word was going to be, but I think he spoke this to me for 2019 was the word peace, the word peace. And I just felt like I need to lean into that more. I need to understand what that is more. I feel like um, one day is great, the next day is chaos. And so I need to understand. And so God's been doing a lot in my heart. But I want to just, this is like four simple verses today um, from Psalm 34. I want to share these verses with you and then really just share um, a couple amens to things that have already been said. Uh, be a little bit vulnerable and share a few of the things that God's been teaching me as we bring this conversation today to a close. Um, The psalmist says this in Psalm 34, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. I can't explain it, but part of this, there's a song we talked about singing earlier. That I had a song stuck in my head, but I think about that idea of glorifying the Lord, magnifying the Lord, and really peace for me begins. Peace for me begins when I make a choice on what I'm going to magnify in my life. And that's not to say, you know, so burnout and what we're talking about today really has very little to do about the circumstances in our life. Um, certainly when chaos is breaking out all around us, we're more likely to get off track. We're more likely to get jolted. We're more likely to lose focus. But to me, this idea of biblical peace and this idea of avoiding burnout has very little to do with the circumstances around us. I think it really has everything to do with what we magnify. And so when he's saying, extol the Lord, his praise will always be on my lips. I will glory, I will celebrate in the Lord. Let's glorify, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. What the psalmist is saying is, I'm choosing to magnify him. I'm choosing 
to glorify him. I'm choosing to bring the focus. There's a lot of things that are grabbing for my focus and grabbing for my attention, but I'm choosing today to bring the focus on him rather than the Peter in the storm, right? Peter walked on the water. Why? Not because there wasn't a storm around him, but because he kept his focus on Jesus. And it says that when he saw the waves, the waves were there the whole time. The wind was there the whole time, but at some point he's walking out on the water and then he looks at the waves. Then he looks at, and it's the same principle for us, that we can choose in our lives what we are going to magnify. There are certainly seasons where that's harder than others, right? There's seasons where the things going on around us, we can't help but lose focus. We can't help but, I love that, and then I love the promise in verse 4. That when we do this, when we magnify him, when we glorify him, when we continue to lift him up in our lives, not lift up ourselves, not lift up our accomplishments, but to lift him up, verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Talk about a promise in the word of God that's worth knowing. Talk about a promise in the word of God that is worth understanding that The Lord delivers us from our fear. Delivers us from our fear. And so um, I've just been trying to walk in this truth and walk in this idea that peace is not something out there. It's not something that is achieved through discovering the secrets. You know, that's what we could have felt like today was discovering the great secret to achieve. No, no, no. That this idea has to begin within us by what we magnify and who we exalt. And so um, a couple things with that in mind, here's a couple things that I'm learning in regards to burnout. I don't think I've gotten there. I don't think I've hit quote unquote rock bottom, but man, I've had moments where I feel like I'm teetering. I've had moments where I'm like, Lord, I don't know how to, because you know, in the midst of when everything at at home changes, you feel like, you know, it's very day to day. Like, what does Lauren need for me today? We've got three other biological kids whose lives have like greatly changed because they've got a sister that doesn't look like them and can't communicate with them and sometimes she likes them and sometimes she doesn't you know so it's just the needs of everybody became so that I just there were moments where I felt suffocated like how am I gonna do people at church that need me people at home that need me how am I gonna do this and so um a few things that I wrote down that I feel like the Lord is helping me um do um first of all uh Drew said this earlier and I resonated with it this idea of being real Um, Craig Rochelle uh, says this often. He's a a Christian pastor and a leader. He says, people would rather follow a leader who is always real than one who is always right. People would rather follow a leader who is always real than one who is always right. Now, that doesn't mean that we bear our junk to every person. That doesn't mean there's a proper level of vulnerability, right? But sometimes as leaders, we buy into the lie that we can't be real and we can't uh, fall short and that we can't, certainly we can't let our people know. Um, that. So in this season of life, I've just had to learn to be pretty honest. How are you today? Well, yesterday was hard, but today's better. You know, like it's just a season and it's just, um, if I think about next week, I'm pretty overwhelmed, but this week we're good, you know, and it's just, it's okay. It's okay to be real and to, certainly that you need people in your life that you're being real with. Uh, Another thing that the Lord's taught me through this is instantly I felt this desire to need to be learning. Now that may seem counterproductive because that may seem like learning is like busying yourself and doing more and that that would cause more burnout. But for me, I just instantly realized that 
I'm over my head here. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not gifted. And yes, absolutely, God will empower us to do that. But I instantly, in and of myself, I'm kind of a routine guy, so I'm not natural at learning. I, I'm not. I, I went to school, and I like that, but I'm not your typical, what new thing can I learn this week? I'm just not. I'm pretty good knowing what I know and just getting into a rhythm and doing my thing. But I can become really stagnant, and I can become really stale. And maybe the beauty of how my life was kind of thrown into um, disarray was that I instantly realized, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I need help here. I need wisdom of other leaders. I need insights. I need to be learning. And I think all leaders need to be learners. But for me, one of the ways that I battle burnout is recognizing that I need other people pouring into my life. I need to be growing. I need to be having my faith stretched. I need to be, and that, that's helping me. The idea of Sabbath was mentioned. One of my, um, with this idea of peace, one of my greatest challenges this year is to figure out what Sabbath looks like when I have four kids and I have a wife that is home with a two-year-old that's very demanding. And so on my day off, it's like, here's dad, you know, see ya. And I want it. So what does that look like for me? And so I, I've actually, like the Lord's been helping me figure out what Sabbath is. And the beautiful thing about Sabbath is what we're saying is, Lord, I trust you enough that I trust you enough that in the six days I can accomplish what I need and I can trust you to give you the seventh day to rest and to exhale and to be present with my family and to not feel guilty about, you know, whatever it is. It's not laziness, it's not slothfulness, but it's just being present. And so that's something that's huge for me. And I've known that my whole life. I've grown up my whole life knowing keep the Sabbath day. But, but for me, Sabbath isn't really a Sunday. And that's a weird concept, but Sundays are, for a lot of you, like, most people think that's the only day we work, you know, like that. It's a busy day. So for me, that's not always Sabbath for me. But the Lord is helping me protect and guard, even with the demands of family. And what does that look like to have a day um, that can be Sabbath? Here's a principle that God's teaching me. If it's not sustainable, don't do it. If it's not sustainable, don't do it. Now, look, sometimes God might call us to begin things and start things and pass them off to others. But I'm having to be okay with, in my ministry, in my life, um, saying no to things that I know are not sustainable. Well, I could probably be involved with that for a little bit, but long term, can I really give myself to that? Or we could start this awesome ministry, but we don't really have the leaders to, and I can't give myself fully to that. And so I've almost had to be okay with, in the short term, quote unquote, failing. On the short term, feeling like I'm not doing enough. In the short term, feeling like, ah, I'm missing it, but knowing that, if I, one year from now, am totally burnt out, that's going to be no benefit to the church. It's going to be no benefit to my family. And it's going to make a whole giant mess. And so, for me, that has to be a principle in my life. If it's not sustainable, don't do it. Don't do it. And I wrote this down. If the expectations on you aren't sustainable, they have to change. Now, I want to be really compassionate here because I know... There's different people in the room from different backgrounds and your church structure. And some of you are the only one at your church doing it, and I, I get that. But I would beg of you to begin looking at the expectations. First of all, look at the expectations you place on yourself that other people don't place on you. Sometimes in ministry, we bear the weight of expectations that other people don't really have of us, we place on ourselves. So we have to own that. We have to own that. That is that really what other people expect? Or I just, I just expect that every time they're in the hospital, I need to be the first one in the door. I just expect that in the middle of the night when there's chaos, I have to show up. Is that really the expectation or have I created that? Because 
maybe it feels good to be the pastor with the Superman on my chest. And I, I like being honest, sometimes we have to be transparent about the expectations we set. But if the expectations for you are not sustainable, I think you owe it to your church, you owe it to your leadership, you owe it to Dr. Phil to say, we have to change the expectations. We have to. They're not sustainable. They're not sustainable. And, and maybe I can do it and I can make it happen and I can somehow get by, but I'm digging the grave for the next leader of this church. I'm digging the grave for the next leader of this ministry if I allow the expectation to continue. Like That's a hard conversation. I don't pretend to know your situation specifically and to know, but you have a district leader that would want to advocate for you in that. And so I'm just giving you permission that, yes, there are seasons where expectations can ramp up. There might be seasons where we have to go beyond that. But if the day-to-day, in-and-out, week-to-week expectations are not sustainable, they have to change. They have to change. And we have to own our part in that, but then we have to ask for the help. So some of us, with our board, we might have to begin to say, I need help getting coverage on this particular day because I, I have to have a day where I'm available to my family. I have to have a day where... I mean, I would, love to see, I would love to see more of us begin to advocate in that way. And I believe, more than more, if we can have those real and honest conversations with the leaders around us, more often than not, they're going to want to rise up and help us create a sustainable expectation. Next one, I've only got two more. We will always disappoint people as much as possible. Let's disappoint the right people. We will always disappoint people. I'm serious. From the day I started this position... And with my needs at home, I felt like my new job description is figuring out how to disappoint people well. I just felt like, do you ever feel like that in ministry? That you just, and that sounds like a really pessimistic view, but it's not. The reality is we will always disappoint people. I resonate with your people pleasing. I'm there. Um, the Lord's had to deliver me from some of that. We will always disappoint people. So as much as possible, let's disappoint the right people. There are a few jobs in my life that I believe the Lord has called me to and no one else. I believe I'm called to be Lauren Mills' husband. I believe I'm called to be Reese, Camden, Jackson, and Glory's dad. And no one else is called to do that. And so at the end of the day, there might be someone else called to be the pastor of this church one day. Actually, there will be. (laughs) I don't plan on being here forever, you know. I'll be gone one day, right? Whatever. There will be someone else in that role. There will be someone else. But Lord willing, I believe that I'm called to be the husband and the father. And so... Now, I'm not saying there are times, there are seasons, you know, tonight, I got to go do a funeral. So that means I'm going to disappoint some people in my family. I get that. But at the end of the day, as much as possible, we need to make sure that we're disappointing the right people. Because there's some jobs in your life that aren't up for grabs. There's some jobs in your life that you've been called to do and no one else. And so at the end of the day, we have to give ourselves permission to disappoint the right people. Sometimes we disappoint people we love. That's the call. We've been called to that. We've been called to sacrifice. We've been called to take up our cross. We've been called to disappoint. Sorry, kids, I can't be there tonight. I'm so sorry. But I make sure when I disappoint them, it's for the right reasons. This is really something I need to be at. This is really something that is important. And so that's a constant tension, and maybe a constant tension I should always have. Am I disappointing the right people? Maybe, Lord, one day you'll let me not have to disappoint anybody, but for now it seems like I'm going to have to. So help me just learn to disappoint the right people. The last one, this is super practical. I have to take care of myself. I have to take care of myself. That involves how much I sleep. That involves how I eat. And man, that stinks. Because I really hoped that the way I could eat in my 20s would just last forever. And it's, it's not. <laughs> I have to care about that. 
Not just because I know I should, but because it actually has an effect on how I feel and how I live. I actually have to care about exercising. And I, we don't feel like we have time for that. But I'm noticing more and more when I invest in those things and I care about things, it feeds my soul. It helps me. It helps me. It helps my mind. It gives me freedom. And so those are the things I'm learning. That's not an exhaustive list. It's not even a very good list. But these are the things that I've been wrestling with um, and knowing that today was about all of us, but certainly something that I need and something that I'm resonating with time and time again. So here's how I'd like to close uh, today. We're almost done. Um, I'd really like to just close praying for you. Uh, I don't know all of you well. I don't know all of the burdens that you carry. But there's already been some evidence in the room that this is something that we need, that this is something that may not be fun going to the doctor, (laughs) but we need it. And so maybe we don't know what hangs in the balance of what we've done today. Maybe we don't know what hangs in the balance of some of the guidelines, the guardrails that we have to set up in our lives. Maybe we don't know what hangs in the balance of some of the hard decisions that we have to make. Um, But I believe it could be life-changing. So I just want to invite you to bow your head, and I just want to pray for you today. Before we, you know, in a minute, we're going to be done, and we'll go our separate ways, and we'll move on. But before we do that, I just... I want to give you permission, as Drew said, to just be a person. Let's pretend for a minute you're not a pastor. (laughs) You're just a dad. You're just a mom. You're just a friend. You're just a neighbor. You're just a son and daughter of the Most High King. That you're not the sum of all that you do and all that you accomplish and all your, that your value is so much deeper than that. And so, Lord, we just confess today. We just admit that this is a challenge for us. That the weight of what we do in ministry is huge, and it should be, Lord. This is your ministry. We are partnering with you to do eternal things, and that we should feel the weight of that. But Lord, maybe forgive us when we make it about my ministry. Forgive us when we feel like our call is to be right instead of be real. Forgive us, Lord, when we allow... Uh, expectations, when we build expectations for ourselves that can't be sustainable. Help us, Lord, when we don't know how to take care of ourselves, when we're so busy. Some of us are so busy caring for others and we don't care for us. That's why, that's why Jesus said, love each other as you love yourself. We have to learn, Lord, what it means to even care for us. So give us permission gave us freedom. And and right now, I just pray, I don't know who it is today that would carry the deepest burden. I don't know who it is that has the deepest struggle. I don't know who it is that has the heaviest load today. But I ask and pray, according to your word, that as they exalt you, as they magnify you, as they lift you up, that you will deliver them from all their fear and that they would walk in obedience to you. We don't know what hangs on the other side of our obedience. But we just trust and believe today, Lord, that you care. You care about our soul. You care about us um, being able to be the men, the women that you've called us to be. And the beautiful result will be we'll have healthier churches. We'll have healthier families. We'll have healthier workplaces because we're taking ownership to be uh, the healthy leaders that you've called us to be. I pray blessing today, Lord. I pray blessing over these next few weeks as we journey towards Easter together. I pray for blessing and God moments 
to spring up, maybe not because we're doing more, but as we started this time together remembering uh, we got to be in your word. we got to be in your presence. we got to give ourselves permission and margin to be still, and out of that, Lord, you'll give us direction. You'll give us our marching orders. You'll show us where it is that we need to go. We give you the glory, Lord. This is your church. It's not ours. We don't take possess. We don't. We, we take ownership of what you called us to do. But this is your church, so we serve with open hands and open hearts, and we're yielded, Lord, to you. We close this time just praying for our district and our leadership. Dr. Phil, thank you, Lord, for his leadership, and just praying for rest and recovery for him and for Cheryl. Thank you for the season of sabbatical they had, Lord, and we just pray for renewed vision uh, for him and for our district in the days ahead. We love you, and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Amen. Amen.